thinking. I believe in useful thinking. And so I think those are two very different things. I can have useful thoughts about a negative situation that are not completely delusional thoughts. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers podcast, where we talk to lawyers about how they are able to thrive as lawyers, the challenges that they have around the practice of law and issues that happen outside the practice of law. And we are fortunate to have as a guest today, a friend and colleague, Shane Scott, who is a lawyer in New Jersey, my home state. And I'm going to let Shane introduce herself. And Shane, why don't you tell us who you are and your journey as a lawyer, where you are now, and then we can go from there. All right. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. So I am Shane Scott. I am a litigation attorney. I have been practicing for almost nine years. And I have been working with my firm for eight years. And I just made partner two weeks ago. So that is exciting. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. And about four years ago, I burned out and I can discuss that in more detail. But I burned out and I discovered that mindfulness was a way that I coped with the inherent stresses of the legal practice. And I started a blog called thespirituallitigator.com. And that has really helped me. And I, I credit mindfulness for helping me through and getting me to becoming a partner. So that is where I am. So say that website again, if you would, if folks want to try to find it. Sure. It's thespirituallitigator.com. And then I'm also active on Instagram, Spiritual Litigator, and Facebook, Spiritual Litigator as well. Great. So why don't we just go with, since since you brought it up, and it's, it's a term that's almost becoming white noisy, I suppose, the whole idea of mindfulness. Because you hear it a lot, you, you see it a lot, it's become, it's certainly valued by many people, but I think other people might say, oh, mindfulness, I hear about it all the time. Ugh, forget it. It's kind of woo-woo and sitting in a lotus position, all this kind of stuff. So when you mention mindfulness, what do you mean? And how did it help you as much as it did? Sure. So when I talk about mindfulness, I mean the act of being in the present moment and accepting what is happening around you in the moment. So for many people, a way that they can be in the present moment is meditation. That's probably what people associate uh, the most with mindfulness, but it can also be journaling. It can also be being out in nature. It doesn't just have to be limited to meditation, but I found that various techniques ultimately get me to the same place and people don't have to pick just one. But the whole idea is to figure out what you are thinking and believing and to determine whether or not that is serving you. And if you want to, you can change it to more effective beliefs. And that's what ultimately reduces your stress. I like that. I like to decide whether what you're thinking and believing is serving you. Do you mean in terms of how it's impacting you physically, emotionally, spiritually? All of the above. So if you have an adversary that is extremely difficult and you are thinking, why is this person like this? This person should not be like this. This is so unfair. That's not really serving you in the moment because no amount of you thinking that is going to transform your adversary into a nicer person. But if you take a step back and accept that this person is who they are 
and I'm going to do the best that I can anyway, you're more likely to come up with more solutions as to how to work with that person and how to serve your client more effectively. Yeah, it's accepting where you are. You can't change that your adversary is a pain in the neck or is putting up all these these roadblocks that is not serving your client or even their client, maybe. But to accept that this is where we are and this is how I need to deal with the moment as it is. Right. Right. Exactly. I know some of the things that I've done. Tell me what do you think about these, Shane? I will in the morning sometimes close my eyes and just listen to what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be so interesting because initially when someone said to do that exercise, I thought, what am I going to hear a couple things? You know, how is that going to be helpful? But when you close your eyes and pay attention to what you hear, it's amazing the layers of things that you hear, like a car or uh, a dog barking or people talking or an air conditioner. Mm -hmm. And and that helps me at least to start my, my day off in a more grounded place. Yeah. I find that morning routines are invaluable. I think that our tendency especially as lawyers, is to open your phone and immediately start going through mm -hmm. your email. And mm -hmm. I've heard people say time and time again, don't do it. And I've fallen victim to it, even when I know it's not useful. And what I have to do is I have to have the routine to where looking at the phone is not the beginning of that routine. And that I go directly to journaling in the morning. And then I work out. And then that's when I get to my phone. Mm -hmm. But you have to be mindful to avoid doing it, right? Absolutely. You have to be mindful rather than automatically going to that phone. You have to pause and, and say, okay, all right, I'm wanting to check my phone. <laughs> mm -hmm. I am going to choose something different. Right. And it's important to also recognize the voices that are telling you that you have to look at your phone because you can't quiet those voices if you don't hear them to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so that voice that's telling you, you're going to get fired because you have a very important email in there right now that you're not looking at. Or I like your brain will tell you the managing partner ca probably called you three times, you know, in the last five minutes. And it never happens, right? What we end up doing is we open the phone, we look at emails that aren't very urgent. And then next thing we know, we're scrolling through Facebook, we're getting upset about the world, and we've wasted about an hour instead of just being aware that, hey, my brain is telling me something that's not true. Let me continue on my path of my morning routine, and then I'll get to mm -hmm. it when I get to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And certainly one, one way to make it easier to to avoid picking up your phone is not to have your phone next to you in your bed when you go to sleep. Yes. So it's you know somewhere else. It, there's nothing wrong with making it a little easier on yourself, right? So even if you're tempted, it's not there for you to look at. My my phone is still my alarm, but I uh -huh. put it across yeah. the room sure. at night. So mm -hmm. even though I touch my phone to turn the alarm off, I put it right back down and then I go straight to the mm -hmm. routine. But you, you mentioned um, like world events, events going, you know, things going on in the country, how you could be tempted to look at that stuff right away. Also, not just your email. And that's something I have had to work on, but not only in the morning, but during the day. It gets so easy on my phone to go right to the news feed and then read read these things that change how I'm feeling in the moment, which could then impact how I am with the next person I interact with, whether it be at work or personally. So really being mindful about how that stuff affects you. I had a client once who I asked him about a lawyer client about his day, and he says in the morning he would read the newspaper. And what I was working with him on was his depression. And I asked him, well, is that helpful for you to read? I mean, basic question. 
that helpful for you to read the newspaper? And he said, no, not really. I get upset. So the brilliant therapist that I am, we talked about, well, maybe not reading the newspaper in the morning. And he started doing that and it was helping. So some, some of these things are easy, but not necessarily simple to implement because they become habits. Yes. And habits can really, they can be helpful or they can be harmful. But I think we get so set in our ways sometimes that we don't even recognize what's happening. So I've absolutely limited my news intake. And there are times in which I have that, you know, you, you got to look, you got to look. But then I just tell myself, is it useful to look at this right now? Do I need to look at the news right now? And mm. generally, the answer is no. And yeah. so I kind of limit myself to maybe one TV show that's news related and one podcast that is news related. And that's it. And sometimes that's too much depending on what's going on in the world that day. Mm-hmm. It's recognizing yeah. that what the input is is really important. And sometimes you just have to take a mental diet from the news. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, again, that question, is it useful? I think you asked a similar question earlier when you're looking at your at your belief or your thought, is it helpful? Is it useful? Is it serving me? Same kind of question about an activity right. and help you be more intentional and choosing rather than just automatically doing. I think what people sometimes get mixed up with when they think about mindfulness, they think it's just this airy positive thinking. And I don't believe in a hundred percent positive thinking. I believe in useful thinking. And so I think those are two very different things. I can right. have useful thoughts about a negative situation that are not completely uh, delusional thoughts. Because if we think delusional thoughts, delusional positive thoughts about something that is really stressful, then that's not going to make us feel better. But if we say, what is the most useful thought that I can have right now that will get me from point A to point B, I think that that's a lot better, a lot better way to look at it. Yeah, I think in the in the cognitive behavioral world of therapy, they talk about it more realistic thoughts as opposed to having what they call cognitive distortions. So can you give an example? Do you have one? In mind, something happened to you where instead of going to kind of delusional positive thoughts, which wouldn't serve you because the situation was difficult in some way, you instead used more useful thoughts. Sure. So I had a, uh, I'd say a somewhat contentious case. And I had an adversary who people told me before, you know, this person is very involved and very passionate about the work that this, this person does for their client. And so I sent an email about something that honestly, I think was completely misconstrued and misinterpreted. And I got this nasty gram back. And Mm -hmm. so in that moment, I could say to myself, Hey, this is just the way that this person is. And this is okay. But that's not that's, that's not what I wanted to feel in that moment. The most useful thought for me at that moment was I don't respond to nasty emails for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, instead of like making excuses in my brain about this person's behavior, I just decided that I was going to follow the rule that I had already made and just say, I'm not responding to this for 24 hours. And that was a lot more useful. And one, one more thought about mindfulness. And boy, I, we could spend the whole hour, actually, <laughs> the whole interview talking about mindfulness. But it's something you want to implement throughout your day, right? It's It basically is just pausing and deciding. Mm-hmm. Here's another example of, of mindfulness on the way home from work. And I've worked with clients on that, this too. That transition time is so important between work and home. Mm-hmm. And which is even harder now with COVID, of course, because for 
many of us, work is home and home is work, which is challenging. But when you're transitioning from work to home and you're going home to kids, uh, let's say younger kids, you tell yourself, okay, I am going home now and I am dedicated, committing myself to being with my kids when, when I get home, with them, not just physically, but emotionally and making that decision before you step in the door. Is that, would that be an example too of mindfulness? Oh, absolutely. And it's also an example of mindfully creating boundaries as well. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think lawyers, we, we, we lose sense of putting boundaries between work and home. And if you don't recognize that there has to be a limit to the amount of contact that you have with work when you are at home, you're going to find yourself with a lot of work and not a lot of personal connections, which is something we absolutely have to have in order to keep our sanity in this practice. Mm-hmm. And the important thing too, that no one's going to be perfect at this mindfulness thing. We've got so many distractions now yeah, compared to 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that it, it's so challenging with social media and our phones and computers and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all this stuff that we're not going to be perfect. And it's important not to expect perfection. And that that's why they call it a practice, because it's always about learning and uh, practicing. Absolutely. And and I think for me, it's been over a long period of time that I've had the practice. And I find that sometimes some things that I did before aren't as effective as they were before. I find that certain mindfulness techniques are better in the morning than at night, then it switches. So it really is what works for you and what makes you feel better. I think that's ultimately the measure for whether mindfulness is working for you. Do you feel better when you have the moments in which you are normally triggered and you notice for the first time that you weren't triggered by it, that's when you know. Because there have been times in which I've had maybe that same adversary say something to me and it just doesn't affect me at all. And then I walk away and I'm like, wow, that was that was kind of nice. Why didn't I react? And it's because of the work that I was doing before. It's like going to the gym and then going to run a race and realizing, oh, all that work I did at the gym is actually helping me when I'm running the race. Is there a book that you would recommend for lawyers that might be a good place to start to read about mindfulness? So it's not directly on point to mindfulness. However, a book that I recommend every lawyer read is The Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life by Bill Eaton. He is a lawyer slash psychologist psychiatrist, I believe. And he writes about high conflict personalities. He talks about how as lawyers, we are taught the standard is always about the reasonable person and that in real life, we are dealing with very unreasonable people. And this is Mm -hmm. how you can deal with them. Mm -hmm. And so that was probably one of the most effective books that I read that taught me how to mindfully deal with people who are difficult. Great title. And uh, say the book again and the author. Sure. It is The Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life, and that's by Bill Eady, E-D-D-Y. Okay, great. So how can you tell when you're not thriving? And you talked about having where you dealt with burnout. What are some messages that you get physically, emotionally that you're not thriving? Sure. So when I burned out four years ago, it was kind of a slow burn over a, over a period of time where I was working on a, a very complex employment litigation case with an adversary to where it got to the point where we were just having screaming matches. We couldn't even get on the phone without completely melting down, both of us. 
And I just remember waking up in the middle of the night. I had terrible insomnia. I was waking up like three o'clock in the morning every night. So then I'm grumpy at work. I wasn't eating very healthy. I wasn't working out at all. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't journaling. I wasn't doing anything to make it better. I was just spinning in the stress of the case. And so when the burnout actually happened, I ended up having severe vertigo, stomach flu, and uh, severe sinus infection all at once. I got so sick that I had to go to the ER. I couldn't walk because I had been, the vertigo made me so sick that I was throwing up constantly to the point where I had nothing left. And so they had to put me in a wheelchair because I couldn't even walk. Mm. And I was on the IV on one arm and then on the phone with the other hand calling to make sure that court was covered the next day because my God, I couldn't miss court. So I didn't get it in the moment. I still didn't understand what was going on. But when the doctors were asking me, you know, have you been drinking? No. Have you been on drugs? No. And they were like, have you been stressed? And it was like, yes, but that can't cause this. And learning that stress absolutely can cause this. And I had not been listening to my body all that time. And then recognizing that I had to listen because if this is what happened only four years and I couldn't imagine how much worse it would get. So physically, it shows up that way. Emotionally, you're just very tired. I know that now if I get very stressed out, the vertigo will come back. Not mm -hmm. severely, but to the point where I feel unbalanced and I know I have to stop. I will also get eczema if I like like patches of dry skin if I get very stressed out. So my body is always telling me when it's time to slow down and I absolutely listen now. Yeah, and your body will sounds like scream at you sometimes to get your attention when you're not you're not paying attention initially. And for some lawyers it's not as dramatic as that, right? Some of the signs of, of not thriving. And for you maybe too, you probably have more are there some more subtle signs for you as well that you need to do something different? Yeah. I think I just hadn't been paying attention to just regular like what I thought was just telltale signs of stress. Like this mm -hmm. is normal. This is just how it has to be. And it was really a symptom of not managing my mind properly, mm -hmm. taking things mm -hmm. personally, you know, losing emotion, which is something that every lawyer who has ever lived will eventually have to experience, but taking it personally and thinking that something was wrong with me if I didn't win emotion and deciding that the judge hated me or just completely catastrophizing that, oh my gosh, you know, this is the end. You know, I lost this motion. They're going to fire me. So it was a lot of different signs of me just not managing my mind and believing my brain's made up thoughts about certain situations. And if I had stopped myself earlier on, I could have staved off the burnout, but I just didn't understand the importance of managing your mind. That concludes part one of my interview with Shane Scott. We'll have part two next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina.
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.